Hey, you are tuned into the Bold Church podcast. My name is Yasmin Ruhi. I am one of the lead pastors here. We're so excited that you can join us for today's talk. We hope it blesses you. We hope it encourages you. And if you find it useful, go ahead and send it to someone else whose day you can bless. If you want to join us, we meet live every Sunday morning. If you want to find out our times or where we're meeting, head to our website at bold.church or head to our Instagram at boldchurch. SV. Thank you so much and enjoy today's talk. Let's go. Who's excited for God's word? Come on. Uh, before we begin, uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Ali, and uh, in a few weeks, Bald turns six. Anyone excited for Bald? Come on. If you've been coming for any amount of time, our tribe, we are a loud church, and we began this church, listen, in a prayer closet. And so we are tomorrow beginning something that has been in the heartbeat of our church from the very beginning. This church was birthed with prayer, is sustained with prayer, and it's going to continue to grow with prayer. Amen? And uh, we, we create these prayer journals twice a year. And these are expensive, takes a lot of time. I want to thank all the, the generous tithers of this house that make this available. Grab one of these. Tomorrow we begin 21 days of prayer. And because we've only been in this building for eight months, we've never been permanent before. We're doing something that we've never done. If you go to page five of this booklet, you'll notice that we have three prayer nights. Crazy. We're going to do something we've never done as a church corporately. Pray together. Come on. Normally we've prayed individually, but we are praying as a community on the 3rd, on the 13th, and the 20th at 7 p.m. And on the 20th, listen, it's going to be a prayer and worship night. So bring your dancing shoes. Come fill with the Spirit. It's going to encourage us. Are you guys ready for today's word? If you're ready, someone say amen. amen. We are going to go through a subject today. You see on the screen, Genesis chapter 14. It's a subject that I normally don't like preaching about. I've only preached on this subject maybe three or four times in the last six years. But it's probably one of the most stressful issues that is in your life. And I'm going to talk about your fantasy football team, by the way. I know some of you are drafting tomorrow, this week. It's going to suck. Come to church every week. It's not your weight. I know that summer season is over and you're looking at your macros. No, no, no. It's not your boss either, not your kids. It's your bank account. It's your wallet. And I'm going to give you a revelation that has changed my wife's life and my life. Are you guys ready for God's word? If you're ready, someone shout amen. Amen. Genesis 14, starting at verse 14. This is, when Abraham heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 218 trained men. If you didn't know this, Abraham's a Navy SEAL, by the way. Watch this. Born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided up his men to attack them and routed them, pursuing them as far as Hoab, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. After his return from defeat of Caledamer, it's a very difficult name, forgive me. It almost sounds like a Pokemon, by the way. And no, he doesn't have a mega evolved. Wow. And the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him in the valley of Sheev. That is the, va- the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Someone say bread and wine. And he was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him. Who is this dude blessing the father of faith? And he blessed him said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. 
notice no one said amen at that part right there. <laughs> yeah, we're going there. I want to preach a sermon. It's a revelation. I don't have to. Someone say, I don't have to. I don't have to. You don't have to do this, but you get to. Let's pray because I believe God's going to speak to us this morning. Thank you so much, Jesus, for your word that it's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we, we may have objections to what we're about to hear. We may push back, God, but your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. God, it speaks to the heart, and God, your word is going to change us and transform us to look more like you, Jesus. God, I believe there are people in this room that don't believe you, that don't know you. God, would you reveal yourself to them? And to those who call on your name, give them this revelation that, God, our lives will change when we bring an offering to you. And if you believe that, everybody said, come on, we make some noise for what everybody said. Now I want to show you a picture because it goes back in time. Look at this picture. This is Pastor Yaz and I. Woo! This was when we were engaged over a decade ago. And at the end of this month, we celebrate 10 years. People ask, how old were you? Uh, Pastor Yaz, we're 11 in this photo because she's 21 right now. Uh, but it's crazy when I look at this photo, the faithfulness of God. Because at this time, we were not even in ministry anymore. My wife and I, we had this dream to start a church, to reach unchurched people. That's why we started Bold. And our pastor did not believe in starting a church. He wanted us to stay there. So he kicked us out. And it's crazy to look at the faithfulness of God. I'm standing in the building that God gave us eight months ago. It's crazy. Now... Ten years later, we got three kids. We have our oldest kid is Sophia. She's seven. Our youngest is our four-year-old Zoe. And Bold's our middle child. You guys, you guys are about to turn six in a couple weeks. And I, I just realized, like, I wrote like this. If you forget what God has done, it will destroy your faith. It will destroy your faith. In the Old Testament, the people of God, what they would do is they would build an Ebenezer. Someone say Ebenezer. That they would cross the Jordan. God would have them have victory in a battle, and he would say, I want you to make a monument. I want you to make a memorial. I want you to make an Ebenezer to remember what I did in your life. And it wasn't that they, they didn't have photos. They didn't have FaceTime. They couldn't put it on their TikTok and remember. They had to create a memorial of what God had done because they would forget. And uh, I remember during the sermon, I, I just remembered all the Ebenezers in, in my life. And there was a, a season when I was single and ready to mingle, and God put it on my heart to run a marathon. And I had about 15 weeks to, to train for this marathon. And uh, right before I started training, I had to have shoulder surgery. So I was, I was in the hospital for a week. I was recovering for three more. So imagine four of the weeks gone out of the, out of the 16. I got 12 more. And then I got the flu for another like three or four. And then I, I literally had seven or eight weeks left. And I remember asking God, like, God, you put this on my heart. Now it seems like I got no time to do this. God, I think. I don't think I heard you, Lord. And God said, no, no, I want you to run the marathon. And I said, why? Because I want to show you that you can do impossible things with me. And I remember this was a, a memorial, an Ebenezer that I created because I still ran that marathon. I didn't die. I didn't, I didn't cross the finish line on a stretcher, by the way. I finished it, and I even wrote the time, four hours and 32 minutes. And this is a reminder of what God, he did impossible things. I needed that Ebenezer. See, what Ebenezer does, when you look back, you become grateful for what he did and gives you faith for the future. And that was 15 years ago. And if I could be honest, that thing is in my garage, up in the shelf behind, and I don't even look at it anymore. I had to pull out all these blankets and all these other boxes and find that. And I wrote like this, the further you get from the miracle, the more likely you are to forget it. Because you forget what God did. God was faithful, and I, I had forgotten my, I, 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 
forgotten his power. I forgot what he can do. And my question for you is, have you forgotten? Do you remember where you were before you met Jesus? Do you remember how you wanted to get high? And that it'd be Saturday night and you'd go click some links and maybe the only way you can feel joy is to drink your pain away. And maybe you, you, you chased after money, you chased after women, and God rescued you. Maybe you were depressed and God gave you hope. And the question is, have you forgotten? And sometimes we think about our, our life and our testimony. We're like, man, he didn't, he didn't give me sight. I, I wasn't in a wheelchair and walk, but you're a walking miracle. The greatest miracle is salvation because God doesn't make immoral people moral. Listen, he makes dead people come alive. The question is, have you forgotten the miracle that God did in your life? And so we need rhythms. We need reminders of the Ebenezer's in our life, of the power of what God can do. I, I'm so thankful that God reminded me of what he can. He can still do impossible things, amen? Which is why I love Thanksgiving. Anybody love Thanksgiving? You can have cheap meals from Thanksgiving to Christmas, and no one's going to count, right? And Thanksgiving is awesome because it's on Thursday, which means you get a four-day weekend. Anybody thankful for that? And then, for all my fans, football fans, it's nine hours of football. Thank you, Jesus. But what's so awesome about Thanksgiving is not the food, it's not the four-day weekend. It's where you pause and you give thanks. Man, I'm so grateful, Lord, that I get to eat a meal. Thanks for stuffing and, God, I pray that no one touches these vegetables. And God, anybody grateful for the, the, the food, the, the home, that sometimes we're, we're so rushed. I hate that the next day after Thanksgiving is Black Friday where we just consume. And sometimes we don't look back and we don't appreciate everything that God has done for us. And there is this, this idea in the, in the Bible that God wants you to look back because he knows you're going to forget. And psychologists will tell us that if you're having a hard time with depression, if you're having anxiety, bef psychologists will say, before you take any medication, before you even go to a therapist, they say, if you just write down five things you're grateful for. And you begin to become grateful, not for what you don't have, not for what you can't change, but for what you do have. It gives you joy and it gives you strength, amen? And if you're a believer, the power of looking back, it gives you faith for the future. I wrote like this, if you need faith for tomorrow, someone say tomorrow. Thank God for his grace today. I love vision season. Vision season is our birthday month. Every year around the end of September, we look ahead of what God's going to take us. But we pause and look back at what God did. And there are seasons, man, when we were online for 60 weeks, the Bay Area was crazy during COVID. In the last two years, we were at 5 o'clock, and it took so much faith that God would keep us alive. Now we're in our own building, amen? I'm so thankful for where we're going to go. We, we've literally almost doubled in eight months. It's crazy. But I want to encourage you. Some of you, maybe your marriage is not where it wants to be. Maybe your career is not. Instead of looking ahead faithlessly, look back to what God did. And you'll see what God can do. Amen? This is why some of you, you're afraid to tell your testimony over and over again. You're like, oh, I've, I've already told it a hundred times, Pastor Ali. It gets old. No, people get old. Your testimony doesn't get old. Hey, I, I don't tell my testimony so that for you, I tell it for me. I need to hear it again. Can I tell you the greatest Ebenezer in my life? I'm going to show you this picture. This is a picture of my, my oldest daughter, Sophia. She is 18 months old in this photo. And this was, it's on her cast. The cast says July 25th, 2017. If you know the history of our church, our first public service was July 16, 2017. So imagine nine days after we have a first service, we have to go to the hospital 
because they find a tumor on my daughter's hand, and they even put it on her little Marsha. Super cute, but I'm freaking out in this photo, by the way, because I don't know if my daughter's going to survive. What if my daughter, who's 18 months old, needs chemo? You can't give a little kid chemo. And there was this fear that my wife and I had, this sorrow. We're launching this church with faith and with joy, and privately, we have sorrow and grief. And probably for 30, 40 days, we were fasting and praying, begging God for a miracle. Like, like literally on our hands and knees, begging God for a miracle. And they had taken a little graft of the tumor, not knowing what it was, and they sent it to Harvard, they sent it to UCLA, they sent it to John Hopkins. The best doctors in America didn't know what was that on her hand. 90 days go by, they still don't know. The doctor says, we, we just have to have surgery. We just need to remove this, this, this tumor. We don't know what it is. And we go in for the last second x-ray. And he goes, I got good news and bad news. I go, man, I've had 90 days of bad news. It can't get any worse. Just tell me. He goes, it's gone. I'm like, what's gone? He's like, the tumor. I was like, time out, bro. This is a, a, a very intelligent doctor. I'm like, listen, the best doctors in America don't know what's on my daughter's hand. He's like, no. I said, no one knows what it is, and now you don't know where it went. He's like, no. I was like, how do you explain this? And he said, I'll, I'll never, he said we have no medical explanation. I said, why can't you use the word miracle? He said, we don't use that term as doctors. I said, but I'm a person of faith. Can I use it? He's like, you're more than welcome. That's a miracle right there. That's an Ebenezer. And if you've been part of our church for five years, I'm not telling this story for you. I'm telling it for me. Because if I forget what God done, I'll ruin my faith. And the further I get from that miracle, the more likely I am to forget. God rescued my daughter. And if he did it once, listen, he can do it again. Amen? I wrote like this, gratitude for what God did produces faith for what God will do. If you have trouble with God giving you faith, look back. Maybe you're not gratitude, you don't have gratitude for what he's already done. He broke that depression on your life. He broke that addiction on your life. Maybe he, your marriage is not where it needs to be. Maybe your career is not. But if he did it in that area, he can do it in that area. I don't think it's a faith issue. I think it's a gratitude issue why often we don't believe God for more because we forget what he has done. And this principle that is from this story is so powerful. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a declaration of gratitude of what Abraham's doing. And when my wife and I, we counsel people, it's so funny. We will come in and oh, we can't live together. We, we just don't get along. I think we need a separation divorce. And they, they never say this, I'm grateful for him, but we can't make this work. Because people think that ad adultery happens because you have a lust problem. No, no, no. That, that's step Z. Step A is you become ungrateful for that person. You, you took them for granted. Step Z is you, you, you thought something else would satisfy you. But no one complains about what they have. No one's grateful for their spouse. It's when you take them for granted. You don't date them anymore. You don't pursue them anymore. And that's why you leave them for someone else. And so funny, this may not change your marriage, but it may change your perspective. Write five things down that you're grateful for. Not what you don't have, not what you wish your spouse did, but five things that they do do. And watch, it may, it may not change your marriage, it may not even change them, but it may change your perspective. And 
I just wonder if there's a room full of people that you may not have the career you want. Maybe all your friends have bought a house and you haven't, but you got breath in your lungs, amen? You got two healthy feet. You, you came to a church where there's not guns. Hold, do you have a Bible persecuting you for your faith? Anybody grateful that we get to worship Jesus in America? So often it's, we lack faith for the future because we don't have gratitude for yesterday. And this principle of the tithe is Abraham bringing Ebenezer to God saying, man, I, I won this victory because of you, Jesus. And it's this principle I wrote like this. The tithe is birthed out of a heart of gratitude for yesterday, but flourishes into an act of faith for tomorrow. It is an act of faith. And people always push back on the tithe, saying, Pastor Al, you don't understand. The tithe is Old Testament. You're right. It is Old Testament. No, it's part of the law that you had to do it. No, no, no. It was 1,500 years before the law. And yes, it was in the law. And then even Jesus confirmed it even after the law. He came to fulfill it. The tithe is not a religious act. It's an act of faith. It's an act of love. It's an Ebenezer. Now, what I love about this story is that Abraham is modeling to us a heart of gratitude, and it looks, it looks different than anything we've ever been a part of. And I love this story because Abraham, this is 400 years before Moses, 400 years before the Israelites had to tithe to be righteous. Anybody grateful? We don't have the law anymore. <laughs> you wear clothes with cotton and polyester. Anybody thankful for that? You don't have to bring an animal to church to sacrifice it, to be made clean. Jesus is that sacrifice for us. Amen? Anybody thankful for Jesus? But there are, but Abraham, he, he does this principle where he's declaring, God, I won with 318 men against a king, not because I'm great, but because you are. And to understand what happened in Genesis chapter 14, we got to go back to Genesis chapter 12. And you just need to know this. Chapters weren't added until 1200, 12th century. Verses weren't added until the 15th century. So in our mind, this is two separate chapters. In the original author's mind, it's one story. You gotta go back to Genesis chapter 12 when God comes to Abraham. Abraham's not a Christian. He's a pagan. Anybody think of that God comes for us not when we're his friends, but when we're his enemies? Any man? You're, you're probably feeling the presence of God getting high in the club before you will in the church. Because he's the one drawing you here. And I love that God pursues Abraham when he's a pagan, when he's a godless man. He says, Abraham, I want to make you a father of many nations. And Abraham becomes the father of Israel, the God's chosen people. And everybody thankful for Jesus. Now, if you place your faith in him, Romans chapter 9 says we are grafted into the family of God. We are grafted into God's chosen people. And I love that God chooses Abraham when he's 75. He's old. Some of you are close to age, like that's rude, Pastor Ali. I'm not saying this. I'm just letting the facts say this thing. Because God is no respecter of a person. As long as you got a pulse, listen, God's got purpose. And I hear this all the time. Pastor, I'm too old. This church is so young. If you're still breathing, God's still got meaning. We need you in this church. God needs you in this church. And he comes to Abraham at 75. He gives him this massive, you'll be the father of nations. Abraham's like, that's awesome, God. But I don't even have one kid and the Hebrews chapter 11 says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Someone say faith. Faith is believing God for the impossible and believing God when it doesn't make sense. Sometimes some of you who are exploring God, you want to bring logic to Christianity. Christianity is not that it's illogical. It requires faith. And God tells Abraham two things that require massive, massive faith. The first thing is you're going to be a father of many nations. That's like 
telling him he has a country before he has a kid. The best analogy is, anybody ever watched the, the movie, um, what is it, uh, Wayne's World? Party Time, excellent. I love this movie. I'm a kid of the 80s, greatest generation. Uh, and there's this, in, in this movie, there's one of these two doofuses. One of them has his girlfriend, and she buys him a gun rack. And she's so excited. She's like, do you like it? He's like, yeah. She's like, are you going to use it? And he's like, yeah, after I buy a gun. That's literally what's happening. This is a, a spiritual Wayne's World moment. God's like, are you excited? I bought you a country. God's like, awesome. I'll have a country. Let's first have a kid, right? I, what's the point of having a country and a gun rack if I don't even have a gun? And then he says, Abraham, go. And everyone's like, where? He's like, I'll show you when you leave. <laughs> See, some of you think God, following God is a 20-step list. of. He tells you the next 10 years. No, no, no. God's word is a lamp unto my feet. All you see is the next step. And then when you get there, then he shows you the next step. What you want is a 20-year game plan. I'm going to be here when I'm 10. I'm going to be there when I'm 20. No, no, no. God doesn't work like that. He says, you go, and then I show. And it's crazy because Abraham leaves by faith. Someone say, by faith. faith. 75 years old. He has never walked with God his entire life. And now he's following Jesus in the wilderness. And his nephew Lot is following him. And they're out in the wilderness. And these, God begins to bless Abraham because he trusted God by faith. And Abraham and Lot are living in the same house. And their, their ranch starts to grow. Their, like everything they have begins to multiply. Their servants, their cattle, everything. So much so they can't live in the same house anymore. And Abraham comes to Lot and says, hey, in an act of humility, he says, we can't live in the same roof anymore. See all this land? You pick whatever land you want. I'll take whatever you don't pick. Think of the humility. The promise was on Abraham, and he gives the choice to Lot. And Abraham says, whatever you want. You choose right, I'll go left. If you choose left, I'll go right. And look, this is this verse that it shows in uh, Genesis chapter 11. Is that the whole land before you? This is Abraham speaking. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked. Someone say, Lot looked. This is so important you see this. And saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Someone say, Egypt. Now this sounds like, this looks like Abraham's making, Lot's making the right choice. He's choosing with his eyes. I wrote it like this, though. It's Egypt eyes. Egypt eyes. See, it's when you choose things based on your flesh. When you choose things based on what it looks on the outside, but it's corrupt on the inside. God doesn't want us to be led by our emotions. He wants us to be led by faith and by our spirit. Look what 1 John 1 says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father. But it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. I love that the Bible is showing you Lot didn't pray before he picked. He didn't consult God. He didn't say, God, where, where do you want me to go? He chose based on his flesh. I call it Egypt eyes. And some of you ladies, let me just tell you, you're choosing your boyfriend on Egypt eyes. I know he's cute and he's hot, but let me remind you, so is hell. Come on. <laughs> but Pastor Al, he's so cute. But he doesn't know Jesus. That's Egypt eyes. Some of you want a job and you're willing to compromise your Christian values for that paycheck. That's Egypt eyes. Anytime you got to compromise your walk with God for a blessing or for provision, that's Egypt eyes because you're being led by your flesh and not by the spirit. And Abraham goes, you choose, you live by your flesh, Lot. I'm going to live by faith. 
and he lets Lot pick the best land. And watch this verse. The faith of Abraham. He gets the leftovers. He gets to settle. And it says this. So Abram went and lived near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pinched, pitched his tent. There he built an altar. Someone say an altar. To the Lord. I wrote it like this. This is a principle you need to get in your spirit this morning. The blessing is not on a place. It's on a person. See, some of you, you're kicking and scratching, trying to kick doors down, get the blessing of God. It's already on you. It's not in that city. It's not at that job. It's on you. Lot didn't realize it. Lot thought the blessing was on land. Abraham had so much faith, he goes, it's on me. And anything I touch is because God's on my life. I had to learn this principle the hard way. I remember when my wife and I, we started Bull Church. My dream city to launch a church was Mountain View because I was a software engineer for 14 years. I wanted to reach techies for Jesus. My wife's dream city, she wanted to do Campbell. But there were three churches in the Silicon Valley that were launching around the same time. A church called Kern SV, a church called Eden, and Bull Church. And because we were the, the furthest along on the church planning process, they got to pick first. First church picked Mountain View. I was like, oh. Second church got to pick Mount Campbell. And my wife was like, oh. And we were upset. Like, what do we do? And it felt like an Abraham moment that our hope was in a location. Our hope was in a place. But God had to show us it's on a person. And we took eight people. And within two years at the Hotel Valencia, we took it to 200. Then COVID happened, and the blessing was God was still on us when we were online. And we were at 5 o'clock for two years because of the craziness of COVID. And the only reason we're alive was the blessing was not on a place, was on a person. And here we are. In, in the, I'm going to say it again because it upsets some people. The ugliest building in San Jose. <laughs> and we have almost doubled in eight months. Why? Because the blessing is not on a place. It's on a person. It's crazy what God, Abraham realizes this principle. He goes, you pick Lot, God's, God's favor and his, his blessings on my life. So you got to see this. Lot goes to Sodom and Gomorrah, the city he should never have gone to. It's Egypt eyes. Someone say Egypt eyes. And Abraham, this random tree <laughs> in the land of Mamre, and he's okay with it. And then we come to Genesis chapter 14, where I read in the beginning. And the Pokemon king, Cato Leomer, comes and you got to understand, this king is like greedy and he's hungry to expand his kingdom. And he's constantly declaring war. And one time he's off at war and five of his city kings declare war on him while he's gone. He comes back and he lays the beat down on these guys. One of these cities he lays the beat down on is Sodom and Gomorrah. And he takes Lot and all of the people in that city. Now, we talk about Abraham being this old man when he's 75 years old when God comes to him. He's 100. Imagine. Sarah wakes up in the morning. She's 90. She changes Isaac's diaper, and then she changes Abraham's diaper. He's that old. In my mind, for so many years, I thought Abraham was like Gandalf, this man with like this walking stick. This man with 318 people declares war on a country and wins. This is Rambo Abraham. Like, I need a new image. Like, I'll be back. Like, these guys that have come, like, this is crazy. How does 308, how does a 90-year-old man with 317 other people win against a country? God. 
Why'd you get that job? God. How'd you get in that school? God. How'd you get that promotion? God. How'd you buy that house? God. And when you don't realize that, you will give glory to yourself. And you will not build, listen, an Ebenezer to the one who provided for you. That's what this story is about. But Abraham, he, shows, he has this conversation with two kings. The king of Sodom, someone say Sodom. And someone say, the king of Salem, someone say Salem. And these two kings come to Abraham and he's having this conversation. And Sodom's like, man, he's kind of like upset that he got his butt kicked. And he's like, listen, you can keep all the gold. Will you just give me my people back? And look what Abraham says. Genesis chapter 14, verse 22. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abraham rich. He's saying Abraham at this point is already very, very wealthy. He goes, I don't want you to get the glory. I don't want you to brag on you making me rich. It wasn't the stock market that made me rich. It wasn't this tech company that made me rich. It wasn't me going to that school or having this job. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. And some of you, I just feel it's my spirit. God's going to promote you. God's going to give you a business idea. God's going to give you a job or to write a book, to open doors that are supernatural. Some of you, your parents were born and raised in another country, and you have opportunities that you've never had. It's not because of their sacrifice, but because of Jesus. As you need to declare over your life, it's because of God that he has fought your battles. He, he opened doors that no man can close. He, op- he opened doors that you don't have the intelligence, the good looks. I know you're good looking. You're getting upset by me saying that. But how does a man with 318 men win? Jesus. And he's declaring, man, it was God who gave me this victory. So I'm going to give him his glory. Amen? And it says, Ebenezer. And then there's the second king. Someone say second king. And this is really interesting because the second king is named Melchizedek. And he's mentioned three times in the scriptures. Once in Genesis chapter 14, once in Psalms 10, 110, and then a whole chapter is devoted to him in Hebrews chapter 7. And Melchizedek is what I wrote is one of these things. He is a Christophany. You want to write that down? A Christophany is an appearance of Christ before his birth or after his resurrection and ascension. See, now there are things in the Old Testament that when you read them, people in the Bible are like what are called types and shadows. Like they represent Jesus. They're not Jesus, but they behave and act like him. For example, Adam is called the first, the, 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 Adam is called the, uh, Jesus is called the second Adam. Because the first Adam was in the garden, was tested in every way, but he failed. But the second Adam was in the garden, and he was tested by Satan, but he didn't fail the way that Abraham, Adam did. Joseph is a type and shadow of Jesus. Why? Because he was thrown into prison by his brothers. He was wrongly imprisoned. He did nothing wrong, but he was treated like a criminal, and he had the power to kill his brothers, but he absorbed their sin, and he forgave them. Jesus is a true and better Joseph. Why? Because Joseph is a type of, 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 of Jesus. Jesus on the cross could have punished us, could have crushed us, but he said, God, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Why? Because Joseph and Adam, they're types and shadows of Jesus. That's not what a Christophany is. Christophany is Jesus wearing a Where's Waldo uniform. You ever read that book, Where's Waldo? You open up it up, and you're at the beach, and you see like 10,000 people, and you're like, oh my gosh, there's Waldo. And then you turn the page, and you're at like a sports stadium, and you're like looking for hours, and you're like, oh my gosh, there's Waldo. That's what Jesus is doing. 
He's showing up, and it's Jesus. Before he was born into human history. Some of you, your mind is exploding right now. How is that possible? Well, if Jesus is God, he exists before time, he existed in time, and outside of time. He can do whatever he wants. And this is his Where's Waldo moment in the scriptures. He shows up as Melchizedek. How do you know? You know what Melchizedek means, by the way? It means king of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. We give Jesus our sin and he gives us, who can give us his righteousness unless Jesus is the righteousness of God? He's the king of righteousness. And then you know what Salem means? Salem means prince. You know what the book of Isaiah says about Jesus? He's the uh, wonderful counselor, mighty God, and the prince of peace. If it walks like a duck, it talks like a duck, it's probably a duck. If it sounds like Jesus, if it looks like Jesus, it's probably Jesus. And all the scriptures in Genesis chapter 14 describe this Melchizedek as a man. It's probably not. Why? Because if you go to Hebrews chapter 7, it says this man, Melchizedek, has no father and mother. Which is crazy because in the Old Testament there were two types of leaders, priests and kings. And all of them, every priest and every king in the Israel's history was recorded in the book of First and Second Chronicles. If you were a king in Israel's history, they knew your mama and your papa. You couldn't hide it. Before Facebook and my ancestry, God recorded all those things. Melchizedek is not in that lineage. How, how is this dude born if he has no parents? Maybe because he was born of a virgin. And in the Old Testament, you were either a priest or a king. You were not both. Jesus, though, in the book of Hebrews says he's our great high priest. And in the book of Revelation, he says he's our king of kings. And this Melchizedek, this king of Salem, is called the most high priest of God. Why? Because this is a spiritual where's Waldo moment. Can I show you the greatest principle, the greatest reason why I think this is Jesus? Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. Look at this. This is awesome. Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Some will say bread and wine. It's not a trick question. At the Last Supper, who brought out bread and wine? Okay, one person knows the answer. God bless you. I have a lot of work to do. Jesus. And what is communion? Remember. It's an Ebenezer. That the bread, we're going to take communion in a moment. The bread is a remembrance that I'm not being forgiven because I'm good. I'm not being forgiven because I go to church or I feed the homeless or I do good works. I'm forgiven because his body was beaten for me. And I have salvation because Jesus didn't purchase me with crypto and stock. He bought me with his blood. And this Melchizedek is bringing out bread and wine, showing Abraham, your victory is because of me. And look at this. Genesis chapter 14, verse 19. And he blessed him. This is Melchizedek. Blessing Abraham. Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hands. You know what he's saying? He's saying you won because I was there. You have victory because I'm there. You, you, 318 men should not have won. But because God's in it. Because, because the blessing is not on a place but on a person. And watch Abraham's reasonable response. All of that was my introduction to this verse. Ready? Genesis chapter 2. 14, verse 20, and Abraham gave him a tenth. Someone say tenth. That's his Ebenezer. Have you forgotten what God has done for you? Have you forgotten the depression that you were in, the addiction, the shame, the brokenness, 
the anger that God rescued you from. Maybe you had paper, but you didn't have purpose. Maybe you had money, but you didn't have meaning. And Jesus came not when you were his friend, but when you were his enemy, and he loved you, and he pursued you. He pursued Abraham, who became the father of faith. This pagan becomes the example for all of us. And some of you in this room, you're like, I'm not good enough to follow Jesus. You're in the same lineage of the ratchet people God makes righteous. If you think you're unqualified, you're qualified. If you think you're good enough for God, you're unqualified. And Abraham, he looks back at his victory. He looks back at what God has done and goes, man, I would never have won if it wasn't for you. And the tithe, listen, people push back. Oh, this is Old Testament. This is law. This is 400 years before the law. This is not an act of legalism, but an act of love. I wrote like this. Gratitude is the intake. Generosity is the output. Generosity is the output. Now, I want to model for a moment Sometimes we confuse what the tithe is. And I, I did this last year, and someone blasted me online on Yelp. So please, before you get upset, blast me in person. Six, seven, eight. Okay. I had to get my children's allowance money for this illustration. But let's say for a moment I got 10 $1 bills. Whether you're the janitor in here or you're, the, you're a CEO, let's all just say, make the illustration simple. I get $10 a month. Let me model for you what, what is not the tithe. Well, I, I, gotta, I have Starbucks, right? Pastor Ali, I'm a demon unless, with, unless I have four quad shots in the morning. And then God, Pastor Ali, I got to pay for my 19 Netflix services, right? And then I have to be a hottie with a body. got to go to the gym. It's fall. I can't wear white after Labor Day. I got to look fresh. Pastor Ali, I love Taco Bell, but my wife doesn't. Pray for her. When I eat a meal, it's $15. When I eat it with her, it's $215. I'm talking about you, by the way. Not me. Have to have a new car. Have to have a dog, maybe. Have to buy the upgrade on the TV because 55. I have to have 85. Football season starting. And then what's left over, we go, God, this is for you. Let me just remind, that's not the, t- that's a tip. That's not the tithe. Let me model for you, because the Bible says that, he says, bring your first fruits. Sometimes we're, we're confused in our generation. We don't, we don't have crops. We don't have animals. Right? What the heck is first fruits? First fruits means this, the moment I'm paid, the first 10% is the tithe. Even though it's equal to the last dollar, the last dollar is not faith. It's when I take the first, and I still got nine in my hand. And like Abraham, I go, Lord, I couldn't win if it wasn't for you. Lord, I I wouldn't have this if it wasn't for you. See, I wrote like this, communion is an Ebenezer of God's salvation. The tithe, though, is an Ebenezer of God's provision. It's remembering. Some of you have forgotten what God has done for you. This is not a get-rich-quick scene. This is about you walking with the living God. And you never tithe to a church, by the way. You tithe to Jesus, Melchizedek. You can call him Esau. You can call him Yahshua. He's the living God. And he knows what he rescued you from. Do you know what he rescued you from, though? 
want to end with this verse. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 4. See how great this man was, whom Abraham, the patriarch, the original OG of Christianity, the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people. That is, from their brothers. I'll explain that in a moment. Though these are also descendants descended from Abraham, but this man who does not have his descendant from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. You know what the tithe is? It's a declaration of Christ's superiority in my life. That's point number one. I got three little points in the end. It's on the screen. Christ's superiority. See, we sing songs. Father Abraham has many sons and many sons has. Listen, little Melly doesn't have a song. No one sings to Melchizedek. And yet this man received the tithe from Abraham, and he's greater than Abraham. That's crazy. Some of you, let me just acknowledge the awkwardness of this conversation. You're at church for the very first time. You're like, I don't even know if Jesus is alive. And you want what? Let me just acknowledge. It is radical. But when God breaks addiction over your life and no one else, that, that radical freedom requires radical obedience. Only people who tithe have been set free. Only people who remember, my victory comes from him. Return to him what belongs. It's not an act, I'm doing this because I want to be loved. I already am loved. This is an act of gratitude. Hebrews chapter 7 says this, and then, in the one case, tithes are received from, by mortal men. But in the other case, by the one of whom it is testified that he lives. If you notice, if you look at the, the Greek words in, all, in every verse in this sentence, it's in the present tense. Why? Because the second point is this, that when you tithe, you're declaring Christ is alive in me. He's still doing things. He's still protecting me. He's still providing. It wasn't something he did 10 years ago. He wasn't just a, a, a marathon run that I ran. No, no, no. He, he helped me love my wife. He gave me that promotion. He's still doing it. He's still providing. And then it ends on this last verse, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 9. One might say that Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, this is confusing, I understand. Abraham was the father of faith. He's got a kid named Isaac. Someone say Isaac. Isaac got a kid named Jacob. Someone say Jacob. God often, one of the most common phrases, he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, who's the grandson of Abraham, has 12 kids. They didn't have birth control back then. It's crazy. <laughs> one of those 12 kids is Levi. So Levi is the great-grandson of Abraham. Everyone in the lineage of Abraham, of the lineage of Levi, became the priests of God. Whether you wanted to be a priest, you had to be. It's like almost like Middle Eastern culture. You're the doctor, lawyer, engineer. You don't have a choice. <laughs> you have to do this. For the Israelites, if you were a Levi, you became a priest. And the Levites, they received tithes from the other 11 brothers. And what the Hebrew chapter 11 is saying right here in chapter 4 verse 9 says that when Abraham was tithing, he was blessing his future great-grandson, Levi. And if you understand that principle, I wrote like this, your tithe blesses your legacy. 
You're not just doing it as an act of gratitude. You're setting up your kids for spiritual inheritance. That's why this church isn't just for us. It's for our kids. John Rockefeller, who would probably be the wealthiest man if he were alive today, said this, I would never have been able to tithe the first million I ever made if I had not tithed my first salary, which was $1.50 per week. See, there's this lie that we all believe. I'll tithe when I make 10 grand a month. I'll tithe when I make 100,000. If you don't tithe when you're making $10, you won't do it when we're making 100. If you're disciplined in the gym and you have a system, that's all the tithe is. It's a system of gratitude, of reminding yourself, my victory comes from God. And I always get pushed back. Pastor, you tell me I got to give to get? Let me just cancel the prosperity gospel for a moment. The prosperity gospel says, if you give God, he'll give you more. But Abraham, he had already won before he tithed. I wrote like this, Abraham didn't tithe for a blessing. He tithed from one. I love that. Which is why the title of my sermon was, I don't have to give. I get to give. I get to. Someone say, I get to. You don't have to. But when I look back, at the faithfulness of God, what's your Ebenezer? What did God rescue you from? See, communion is an Ebenezer of his salvation. The tithe is an Ebenezer of his provision. You can bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a good God, that you love us, you pursue us, not when we're in church, but even before we come to church. God, I'm so grateful for the story of Abraham. You chose him not because he's awesome, but because you are. You didn't choose him because he was reading his Bible, he was in church, or he was in a prayer closet. You chose him when he was far from God, far from you. God, that's our story. All of us have rejected you. All of us have walked away in church because you're good. And I'm so grateful, Lord, for your sacrifice on a cross. If you have this communion cup, I want us to take this together as a remembrance of what it costs for us to come home to Jesus. This bread represents his body being broken for us. That I was so sinful that God had to send his son to die for me. But I'm so loved at the same time that God was willing to send his son, Jesus, to die for me. God, we take this bread, this Ebenezer, and remember of your body being broken for us. We take this bread now. God, we drink because it was your shed blood, Lord, that purchased us. It was your shed blood, God, that bought us. The price was your precious blood. And we take this, God, this Ebenezer, remembering where we were, what it cost us to bring us home. We're so grateful, Lord. I just want to take a moment to acknowledge there are some of you in this room that you feel this tug on your heart to begin a relationship with the living God. His name is Jesus. Let me quickly give you the gospel. The gospel is God 
created the heavens and the earth. He's a perfect and holy God. And he had a relationship with Adam, the first Adam. But Adam sinned. Adam rebelled. Adam wanted a life apart from God. And sin entered the world. And the wage of sin is death. And Adam was separated from God. But there was a second Adam who saw the wage of sin and said, I'll take the penalty. I'll die in their place so that I'll die and they can live. And Jesus, Melchizedek, the living God, entered human history 2,000 years ago as the man Jesus, the God-man, fully God and fully man. He didn't come because he was angry. He came because he was full of love. He wanted to die for us. He wanted to pay the penalty of sin. Your salvation cost him his life, and he was willing to give it. God doesn't want your money. He wants your life. He wants a relationship with you. And he loves you so much that he was willing to die before you even before you came to church. And that God wants to walk with you. He wants a relationship. He wants to be in your marriage. He wants to be there in your parenting. He wants to be there in your work. The way that Abraham walked with God, God wants to walk with you. So whether you're 15 in this room or 75, the living God is pursuing you. And if that's you this morning and you want to start a relationship, you've never prayed that prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed. And you feel this tug on your heart that God's pursuing you. And you understand that it costs you the life, death, and burial of Jesus for you to have a relationship. If you want to pray that prayer with me, on the, I want you to shoot your hand up on the count of three. One, two, three. Shoot your hand up. Shoot your hand up. Amen. Amen. I see your hand. Just pray this prayer with me. Everyone out loud. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven for me. You didn't come to give us a book. You came to die for our sin. I repent, Lord, of my sin. I turn from my ways and follow you. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your salvation. Thank you for the, for the gift of life. Thank God for forgiveness of sin. God, the way that you spoke to Abraham, speak to me. The way that you led Abraham, lead me. I want to walk with you, Lord, all the days of my life. Thank you for forgiveness. As much as I understand, I follow you, Jesus. If you believe that, everybody said, amen. Hey, thank you so much for listening today. If you want to follow us on social media and just stay up to our current events, our social media handle is Bold Church SV. That's Bold Church SV for Silicon Valley. We hope you stay blessed and we'll see you soon.